This is Transformation Stories, a podcast from Atlas Systems, exploring how companies are leaping into the future through deliberate change and innovation. In today's digital landscape, businesses face a choice to transform or risk falling behind. Here are the insights of visionaries and change makers who are driving transformation across various industries and roles. They'll share their experiences, strategies, and the most potent opportunities for success. Join us as we uncover the secrets of transformation. Isar Ahmed Mujadidi is Chief Information Security Officer for Carillon Behavioral Health, previously known as Beacon Health Options, where he has established a comprehensive and proactive information security program that includes implementation of safeguards as well as security awareness, training, and governance. Over the past 20 years, Mujadidi has led internal information security audits, assessments and reviews, penetration and security testing, independent product evaluations, and more. Mujadidi is a graduate of the Minority Management Development Fellowship Program from the American Association of Health Plans, now known as AHIP and holds a Master's of Business Administration from Brunel University. Well, hello, Isar Mujadidi. Thank you so much for joining us on Transformation Stories. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate the offer and uh, the invite to speak on this important subject with you guys. No, it's great to have you. Um, I wonder if we could start out by talking a little about your current role, You know what you're doing, and uh, what your concerns are, your purview. Um, so could you just give us a little background on that? Sure. So um, um, I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for a, a company called Carelon Behavioral Health, uh, which is a subsidiary of a Fortune uh, 23 company, Elevance Health, and we were acquired about three years ago. So I've been in this role with the company for the last 12 years or so. Uh, so I, um, I, when I started back uh, in 2011, the original company was known as Valley Options. Eventually, it was bought by venture capitalists and became Beacon Health Options. And then about three years ago, we were purchased by Elevance Health and we became Kalon Behavioral Health. About a year ago, we were rebranded as, as uh, Kalon Behavioral Health. Uh, it's a health and wellness company. It's uh, one of the uh, leading companies that provides mental health and substance abuse services. Uh, uh, and basically, uh, uh, one of our motto is, mo- mo- motto is to stamp out stigma, so anything related with mental health. So we promote health and awareness, as well as mental health for people um, across all of the United States. We have um, members uh, all, all throughout the United States that, that we service. So in, in my current role, um, I'm responsible for overseeing the security uh, program for the subsidiary, the Kailan Behavioral Health. So uh, I was brought in, a uh, uh, little background on, on my background. Um, I came in with uh, about um, 12 years of experience as a federal contractor in the federal um, uh, security field. Uh, so naturally, uh, 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 I have a lot of exp- expertise in the, in the federal security arena. Uh, I came into this commercial environment about 12 years ago because we had uh, um, a military client that we had some needs for from that perspective. 
So when I stepped in, I actually created the, the security program for the organization. So the organization uh, so built that program, you know, based on five key principles that I follow. And I follow that as of today as well, is to make sure that we have a wholesome program and we have good uh, cybersecurity hygiene across the whole organization. So the whole program that I, I built upon uh, included making sure we had the right governance infrastructure in place, making sure that we had the right policies, procedures, and requirements uh, that we have to meet. And second was to make sure that we met all the compliance requirements being healthcare. It's he heavily regulated. So we had to make sure that we meet and exceed all the expectations set um, by the regulators. Third was to make sure that we had all the right cyber hygiene elements, we call them safeguards. Make sure you have the right gun guards and gates in place to make sure we are able to protect, detect, and correct information. Uh, and uh, and, um, and to make sure that uh, uh, we are able to deal with you know current threats and, and future threats as well. Part of that program is also looking at your attack surface and managing it and then uh, finding ways how you can minimize that attack surface. And also we had to make sure that our people are properly trained. So that was another part of the, of the plan was to ensure that we train our people properly because I think human elements, human are the weakest link in the whole ecosystem <laughs> within any enterprise. So definitely, you know, uh, you know, our Gartner recently published some, some uh, stats on, you know, human error is going to be a leading cause of breaches in in the future. So, you know, uh, plus with the advent of AI and deep fake impersonation, things of that nature, that that is going to be, so we have to really train our people very well. And uh, finally, we had to make sure that uh, we had, uh, we could continue to operate. So being a, a key element of security is to make sure we are able to recover from a disruption or a disaster. Uh, so build that security program over time and then got it validated through adoption of different frameworks. So uh, in, in my position at Kalon, we service many verticals, including the public sector. We have our DOD federal sector and we have the commercial sector. So each of these areas have different frameworks and standards per se that, that you know, these verticals have to follow and, and the people who belong to that vertical actually look for those things. So for example, like in the commercial employer market, they look for international standards such as ISO, making sure that you know, you're able to demonstrate that your program is sound, your security program, and you're able to attest to it through a certification. On the, on the health plan side, something like high trust, and finally, um, um, uh, 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 finally, from on a commercial side, uh, what is called the authority to operate. So making sure that we meet those requirements. So build that program over the last 12 years, have been successful at it. And we continue to rinse and repeat our procedures. We, we continuously measure and manage risk across all spectrum uh, of, the, of the organization, including people, uh, you know, technology and and, and uh, testing our disaster recovery plans and of that nature. So we continue to measure and manage risk in, in our enterprise. And when you moved from the, the federal government sector to more of a corporate with Carillon, how, how did you have to sort of change your focus? How did you have to transform your own knowledge and focus? 
So I, I think coming in from a, a, a very regimented environment where there are strict requirements, I really had to make an adjustment when you move over to the commercial side, especially within healthcare. You know, healthcare, as you know, is always a big target. <laughs> it's still a big target because of a lot of different factors. Uh, it's heavy. It's it's. I think it's the second most regulated industry next to finance, uh, but still, uh, uh, from a maturity perspective, it, it it would take time from that. So basically, I think building those bridges um, and um, uh, becoming a trusted partner within the environment actually helped me, you know, help me spread my message, and uh, actually showing my the true value of security. Uh, in in terms of uh, a return on investments, um, on on minimizing our tax surface, um, being less um, subject to fines and penalties because of breaches, things of that nature, and having a constant eye on the environment actually helped. Um, on the federal side, it's strict, very strict. You do this this way, there's no leeway. On the commercial side, definitely there's a lot of convincing that needs to happen because a lot of these things are standards. You know, once they're implemented, yeah, you can enforce that. But to get to that point, it takes a, a time for, for you to do the convincing and also to show the value of uh, and, and, and comparing yourself with other organizations from a maturity keeping of a scorecard, for example, like a security scorecard of your organization and comparing it also helps. So definitely the, the big challenge was actually getting getting to understand the commercial environment uh, and getting to see how we can implement things that are good, but don't make it too tough that you're not able to achieve your objective. If you make things so difficult that, that you know, the business is not able to operate, then it defeats the purpose of being in the business. So definitely uh, have a relaxed approach and having the right buy-in for management was a key for my success over the years. And, and thinking about, you know, becoming a trusted partner, you know, and transforming attitudes. I mean, are there any other secrets to to getting people's buy-in, to uh, really getting acceptance? Yeah, I think the, the, the most, the, the basic skill that we need to have is is the ability to listen. Listen to reason, because a lot of time people, you know, security-minded people, it's my way or the highway. But you have to listen to the reason and find an alternative, find a better path, how we can meet that objective of what I'm trying to do and what the business is trying to do. And having that, being a champion for a cause and having your right team in place really helps. Translating something as simple as, why do we need two-factor authentication, right? So giving them convincing evidence as far as what the guidance is coming from the government, how much we can prevent. I know it's a hassle. You got to have a certain factor and things of that nature. So there's a lot of education. So educating the users and showing them the true value instead of saying, oh, it's a mandate, must do it. You know, my way or highway doesn't work. So definitely those things really, really help. Uh, it helped me and also having the right uh, support from the management in terms of building up your strategic plan, showing them the value of each thing that you're trying to do, whether it's across training people on phishing, uh, uh, through phishing exercises or implementing something X, extra to help us, uh, you know, pick something that we may have missed during normal operation really helps 
so um, you know getting that that um, uh, support from management is also very helpful also what also helps is working with the peers so i work with the cyber health working group it's headed by hhs i work with infraguard which is a fbi and a private industry uh, um, organization, we share ideas. I, I, I take those ideas, I bring them back to the table with the management. I say, this is working uh, and this is not working. And then uh, help, make a, a good, good argument on uh, what we need to do, depend on what our gaps are, what our risk appetite is, and then making the decision and the investment. Lack of money is always an issue in any organization, and healthcare is no, is no different. So definitely trying to show value for the money is very important. And definitely if it could be backed by studies from you know, you know, organizations such as Gartner, things like that, I'm able to leverage those, I'm able, able to use their tools and then make a convincing case of what we need to do and show them, you know, this is where the industry is heading towards, this is where we should be. We should be investing in zero trust. We should be investing in X, Y, and Z. We should be investing in, you know, whatever the latest and the greatest threat vector is, how we can better protect it. And also, uh, uh, since the acquisition, we are getting a lot of our guidance from our parent company, being a Fortune 23 company, Fortune 23-30 company. Uh, they, they have the might and they have a lot of knowledge. They have a lot of support. So I tap into their resources as well and see how we can better improve on how we operate, how I can transform myself as well as individual, and also transform my organization to meet, you know, the expectations from the parent company, and so and hopefully try to come in parallel with what they have, or even try to exceed what they have. Whatever things we are doing better, uh, we can always share. Whatever the things they are doing better with us, we they, they share with us, and we follow through and, and try to minimize. The ultimate goal is to make sure that the data we are entrusted with by our clients, whether it's the government, the state government, or the commercial, is safeguarded, and then we are able to have the proper controls in place to make sure that you know we don't have a uh, data, uh, we don't have a breach. So that's, and also we are safeguarding that information and we're disposing that information when we no longer need that in information in a secure manner. So it doesn't end up in dumpsters on, on hard drives, things of that nature. <laughs> you know, in the past we have had those people losing equipment, you know, you know, people not paying attention, not sanitizing media, things of that nature, but to prevent all of those. And also uh, uh, definitely, um, uh, putting in new technology, definitely with new stuff like what's coming up, AI, machine learning, things of that nature. How do we better prepare for all of those things? Generative AI, you know, uh, people are talking about IA-enabled fraud is going to be prevalent in the next couple of years. You know, deep fakes, and you don't know, you know, if it is really a real person that you're getting an email from, it may look like impersonation may increase. So those things, you know, chat GPT and all this AI has has some bias issues, hallucination issues, has a, a lot of other issues where how do we deal with all of this emerging technology and how do we still benefit from it, but we also, you know, understand the risk associated with using it, loss of IP, loss of intellectual property, how, if we are using any of these models, how, if we are building some, any, what we have to make sure is what we bake into those things uh, to make sure that it's not used for nefarious purposes. Yeah, I mean, thinking about like AI and, and a lot of these emerging technologies and platforms, 
you know, how do you see sort of the risk profiles, um, the important risks transforming? You know, is 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 it changing in dramatic ways? So definitely, AI is is a new area, and definitely the, it's coming with its own risk. So I think organization right now are taking a reactive approach, meaning we're just going to block it, right? Block it at the network layer. So you can't get to chat GPT, you can't get to X, Y, and Z, Bing AI, all of those things like that. But that's just a temporary fix. People find workarounds it. I think overall the the plan, you know, uh, the training is very important in terms of training people what is the acceptable use of AI? So meaning setting up some sort of acceptable rules of behavior, meaning if you are a consumer or if you're a user or if you're a developer of, of AI uh, to, you know, to, to complete some, some kind of objective, you have to make sure that these, these things are taken into consideration where they, you want to make sure there isn't a loss of IP, there isn't any, any issues with with the uh, you know biases and and the AI is not turning on to you. I've seen this some study. There are some groups they are actually, you know, turning these AIs and stuff into something very nefarious, where you know the responses you are getting are really you know biased based on you know some criteria that they have manipulated uh, that that search criteria. And then you have to be very careful how how you do all of that. Um, so definitely this AI enabled fraud will fundamentally change our enterprise tax surface. Uh, definitely, you know, uh, we have to be more cognizant of how, how we deal with it, how we use it. And definitely there are a lot of benefits to it. That is the next thing coming. Everybody's, yeah, there's big investments in it from that perspective, but we have to have the correct mindset and we have to be careful of how we use it, how, how we make use of it. And we want to make sure that we we are not at risk of, you know, losing any of your you know intellectual property with the use, especially when you're dealing with software development. You don't want your code in there, and then say a competitor or somebody else or whoever the company AI company goes bust, whatever happens, and your IP is gone, nothing of that nature. So exposing, not exposing any of our crown jewels to such such tools, uh, things of that nature. Yep. And what about the use of cloud? I mean, do you see any special concerns there or things that you're focusing on now or for the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, definitely cloud is is a reality. It's not going anywhere. So definitely a lot of on-prem um, organizations are, they have data center exit strategies. They want to make use of uh, the collaboration space and the security provided by cloud security providers. But cloud itself, once you are thinking of migrating your on-premise environment, it has to be thought out very carefully because cloud is not a one-stop solution for you. There are responsibilities that lie on both the cloud service provider and yourself, depending on type of, you know, type of adoption you have of software as a service, infrastructure as a service, whatever uh, model you may be using. And it's important to use you know, um, a lot of there's a lot of new technology out there that helps supplement um, uh, security within the cloud environment, such, such as cloud access security brokers, 
And of course, a zero trust is something that's very important, especially in cloud adoption as well. And de definitely, you know, uh, you no longer have your 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 traditional security parameter. It's housed in who knows where by a, a cloud service provider from that perspective. So negotiations, contracts, responsibilities have to be really thought out. And it's it's very, uh, it's robust, it's elastic, it's expandable. Definitely a lot of, uh, it, it is, it is, you know, it is the model that a lot, most of the organizations are going into, whether it's GCP, Azure, AWS, you name it. Uh, uh, so, uh, definitely cloud adoption, cloud security concerns uh, are, are valid as well. You know, Cloud Security Alliance has published a set of guidelines on, you know, as you're evaluating cloud providers, you have to make sure, you know, that, you know they are providing with you all of these things that, that protect your data end to end from that perspective. And it's clearly demarked where your responsibility starts, where their responsibility starts, where your responsibility ends, where their responsibility ends. Uh, especially if you're a federal contractor, there's always additional requirements such as the cloud service provider has to be, you know, FedRAMP certified, meaning, you know, you know, it has requirements around, you know, who can access people who are processing your citizenship onshore, meaning the data resides here in the United States. DOD has additional requirements. It's referred to as IL-4, IL-2, different things on top of the federal certification. So if you want to do business with the government and you want to put your app in the cloud, you have to pick one of those, you know, validated cloud providers. But if you're on the commercial side, you would just go to the regular, uh, you're servicing just commercial clients, then you can adopt any of the cloud providers, but you have to make sure that you have the right gun guards and gates in place for that cloud security architecture that will be implemented. You sort of touched on this, but in terms of third parties, how are the, the risks changing? How are they transforming? And, and how are you keeping up with them? So definitely third party risk is a, is a major issue and it's, it's been pointed out uh, um, because a lot of organizations that recently had breaches were reason with third parties. It wasn't them, but it was their interested data to a third party. Uh, so definitely uh, a sound third party assessment program is very important. So uh, one of the things that, that, that we implemented at my company prior to acquisition and post-acquisition is, is we vet all of our third parties and make sure where, what system they'll be using, where the data is going to be hosted, how the data would be handled, how the data would be protected and go through a third party vendor assessment process. And then, uh, uh, and then after they go through the vetting process, we make sure that, you know, they are approved, meaning that, okay, we made sure, you know, you know, they have the right thing, they have the certifications, and they have like, uh, uh, they have validated all the things that, that we asked for. Uh, we also monitor them through a lot of third-party risk rating systems. Now there's a lot of tools out there such as BitSight, uh, UpGuard, Security Scorecard, Risk Recon. So that's actually measuring the attack surface for organizations. So a lot of vendors have started using these tools for all of their third parties on a continuous basis. So they're measuring the attack surface of these vendors, third parties. And if they see, and this may be a numerical 
or, 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 or quantitative score, depending on what tool you use, A through F, or 70, 90, 500, 600, whatever the score is. And then they would see that, okay, uh, this third party that we are using to do X, Y, and Z seem to have RDP open on, on their, on, uh, on, uh, in their DMZ. So that's a big red flag. So that's what the companies are doing. They're they are connecting with those third parties and bringing them, uh, uh, bring them, uh, bring attention to the issue to them and working them through through resolution. So third party risk, it'll be there. I mean, in the past, it was limited to just have executing master service agreement, business associate agreements, or some side of security addendum. But now it's going beyond making sure that you know they meet and execute the requirements that are set. Uh, and these things are set uh, now documented in, in a lot of agreements as well that we want to monitor you throughout the duration of the contract. Uh, you know, we may do do assessments on you now and then we're going to do it annually. Things of that nature, if there's any kind of breach, there's some provisions in the contract when they have to notify us. And if it's our members involved, if we need to notify or they need to notify whoever legal would get involved and do all the notification with the regulators, you know, definitely third party uh, definitely is a big risk. Uh, uh, you probably heard uh, SEC has new uh, new security regulations. They're enforcing it. They're even uh, charging. Uh, there's some pending charges for the last solar wind. CISO, they're charging them. Uh, with fraud, uh, so there's a lot of uh, scrutiny, both from regulators as well as from companies themselves, on making sure that these third parties, you know, um, um, are you know are sound and that they don't introduce any 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 risk to us, especially in high, high in in healthcare. You have the high tech provisions, so the liability goes downstream. So you know, if a downstream vendor is affected, you may be affected as well. So. Yeah, third parties are, are, are a big, large risk. Just just to wrap up, I wanted to ask you, you know, thinking about where your career has been and where you maybe see yourself going, how how do you see your personal transformation continuing in, in terms of your career and anything else? Yeah, definitely. My career started be, being a terminal area security officer in the United States Army. That was back in 1995. So that's how I started, started with that. Got into um, healthcare in, uh, in in healthcare management. Did a fellowship at American Association of Health Plans. It was a minority management development fellowship. After that, became a defense contractor. Went through um, Department of Defense, um, um, uh, National Defense University, and got a couple of certification in information assurance. About a two-year worth of training up at National Defense University. Uh, post that, I, um, I re- about in 2018, um, also completed a CISO executive certification from Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, it's a, it's a, uh, I was one of the f- uh, first few cohorts when this program is started. It's a select program of uh, CISOs across industry, across uh, um, federal government that they attend a six-month program, rigorous program that I attended. So in my current role, I continue to be uh, the CISO. Uh, I f- foresee myself moving more into a uh, consultancy role, get, getting out of the operations as, as I age, but definitely staying in within the security field, assisting and advising um, uh, uh, leaders, 
uh, as I continue to, to grow. And then I continue to educate myself as well. Uh, in the past, I may uh, increase my voluntary uh, voluntary work. I've done quite a bit with ISECA as well, serving on their CISA and system boards for uh, quite a few years. And I will continue doing that and continue to educate myself and continue to uh, play a pivot role, uh, play an important role in uh, uh, making sure that, you know, information security is brought to the table to the management and they, they realize that it, it, we are a key stakeholder within the whole ecosystem of the organization and we are a very, very important partner. As you know, healthcare has a lot of issues like you know, a lot of uh, tech death, ransomware, you know, breaches, uh, a lot of fragmented architecture. So I definitely want to continue to help build, uh, remediate, develop programs for organizations and also uh, mentor junior staff as well, continue to educate them and help them grow in their field and then uh, make make future leaders in information security. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, Azar. Uh, we really appreciate your insights and your time. Thank you so much for your invitation. I really appreciate you asking me to speak. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap on today's episode of Transformation Stories. If you found this episode as enlightening as we did, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Your feedback fuels our mission to bring you more thought-provoking conversations. As we conclude today's journey, remember that transformation is within reach for every business, and it starts with deliberate choices. Keep pushing boundaries, seeking new opportunities, and embracing change. Until next time, this is Transformation Stories.